Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ravenda with Mingle Zone Network Radio, and we are having a really warm and sunny spring day, and I hope you are too. Uh, today is our second show for the day. Early we had uh, a show on health and fitness, and today we have our show on uh, struggling through um, uh, life issues and being creative with it. So today we have a guest on, Mr. Milo Young, who will discuss some uh, things that happened to his past and how he was able to get through it. And we also have our co-host on today with us, Ms. Nishiba, who's going to step in. Say hello, Nishiba. Hi, is everyone doing? As she said, it's a beautiful, sunny spring day. We have the same thing going here in the Midwest today. Oh, I'm glad to know that because we deserve it. I'm so sick and tired of this winter. Um, before we introduce our first guest, I just wanted to give out some information for our, our listeners. Uh, we have um, our Mingle Zone Network website that we like to promote artists and book authors and businesses on. So please go to www.minglezonenetwork.ning.com. And um, you can go there and we put a request in to become a guest on the show if you have something you want to promote, like your new music CD, your book, uh, your business or organization event. Anything that you care to uh, share with our radio listeners, please be sure to do that. And uh, we will now welcome Mr. Milo Young to the show to discuss a lot of important things that will probably affect a lot of people and help others, you know, learn how to make decisions to change their lives around. Welcome to the show, Milo. Hello, Milo. Milo. Hmm. Okay, well, maybe we accidentally lost him. We'll see what happens. Try to get him back on there. And he was in All chat. Right, we'll wait. Is he in the chat? Let's see if he can Looks call like, him. No, that was earlier today. Yeah, that was earlier. Okay. So uh, he'll be calling in in a couple of minutes. But, um, Nashiba, did you want to talk about uh, some of the things that you're doing right now um, so we could share? Because I know that uh, a lot of times I can't catch up on you on your show. So uh, is this a good opportunity for you to tell us what's going on? Sure. Again, this is Nashiba, and I'm also a host on Blog Talk Radio, and I'll I'll put the link in 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 the chat as well, but it's uh, Blog Talk Radio forward slash E Spirit E. And generally on on Sundays, I have a a show that's business-related for entrepreneurs to kind of talk about your entrepreneurship for information, resources, and inspiration. Uh, The theme and the concept is built around business can be infused with spirituality and and inspiration. It's not two separate entities. It should clearly be infused, uh, which will be slightly different to a certain degree from a current standard of of doing business that they, is something that can be infused. Uh, So I generally would do that shows on Sundays. Uh, Tomorrow I I will not be actually doing a show. And then uh, this past week I just started a show on Wednesdays where I'll have music uh, artists on, spoken word artists. We had DJ Shaheem on this past Wednesday, so everyone uh, check out DJ Shaheem. And he's also a Block Talk Radio host, and that's DJ uh, Dash Shaheem on Block Talk Radio. 
Um, he's an up-and-coming artist. He does production work, and he's a pretty phenomenal young man. Uh, we also had Verse the Truth on uh, our business show uh, last Sunday, and there's someone else you should definitely check out. Uh, in addition, I'm also a self-published author. Uh, my book is What's It All About, Nesheba, which is a book collection series consisting of three book titles with Purpose of the Journey, Ever Evolving, and Pressing On. And the purpose of the journey is uh, was kind of built around the fact that a lot of us walk through life and we may or may not know what our purpose is, and sometimes it actually takes a journey through life to even begin to understand and put our arms around what our purpose is. And generally once we do and we invest it and kind of a sense of peace about it, we can take off and fly like eagles. Evolving, ever evolving, is once you've identified that you've come developed a sense of peace about it, you will continue to evolve through that uh, process in order to develop what your purpose is. And then lastly, as a culmination of it all, pressing on. Once you've arrived, once you're continuing to evolve, you must continue to press on. And you continue to press on because sometimes there will be trials and tribulations, sometimes little pebbles in the road, or sometimes big boulders in the road, but despite what they are and despite what your circumstances are, you continue to press forward. So that's another venture of mine. As a business, eSpirit E actually uh, means essential spirit enterprise. And I uh, have a couple of divisions that that comprises of, which is IT, telecommunication. I've spent well over 20 years in that field. I really, really enjoyed and have a lot of passion for it because technology constantly evolves, which keeps it very exciting. Then I also have a B2B uh, networking, which primarily I have um, do be, uh, involves resources and information surrounded about, uh, with networking, affiliated marketing. And then uh, lastly, I have um, Entrepreneurial Corner, which also involves inspiring, motivating entrepreneurs, resources for entrepreneurs, and that's also where you can find additional information about what's it all about, Nishiba. Now, in conjunction and rolled up with everything, and as this relates to businesses, while as entrepreneurs, sometimes we need to um, potentially understand better how to market or sometimes co-market or co-venture with other, other people because as an entrepreneur, as you're developing yourself, you're going to find that you're not an expert in everything. And you may have times and opportunities that you may want to take on a project, but you do not have all the components necessarily or the expertise. And the best thing to do in a scenario like that is reach out to someone, whether it's a friend or a colleague that you work with, and pull on their expertise so that you don't pass an opportunity. And a perfect example of that is Ravinder and I are co-venturing and co-marketing on, on several things, as well as another host on Blog Talk, and that's Light 08. So check, I know everyone's tuned in to Mingle, but if you haven't kind of checked out Light 08, you definitely want to check the call letters. He's on Blog Talk Radio as well, forward slash Light 08, and you definitely want to check him out. So we're practicing what we're preaching by we constantly like to inspire people and motivate people, and we're all very much spiritually in base, proving the fact that business, spirituality, and inspiration can be completely infused with each other, and that co-venturing and co-marketing is a, is a wonderful opportunity for you to expand your business opportunities. Thank you for that. <laughs> sure, no problem. You know, I'm a, a partner in business has to have her say as well. 
and we <laughs> think alike. In most cases, we think alike, and um, we we would be happy to you know invite any of the listeners who have their own uh, Block Talk radio show to join us and trying to make you know a very uh, wider audience for ourselves because there's so many different radio hosts on the show and we don't know everybody but if we work together and we bring a connection among us we'll be able to expand more and get more you know guests and more or more uh appearances and more shows done on on Block Talk Radio because if you're involved in the revenue sharing uh the only way you're going to make any money through that that system is if you have a lot of shows and you have a lot of people coming to your shows and sharing the shows. So the promotion and the marketing of your radio show can really help you to make, you know, some really good money by being on Vlog Talk Radio. Um, if you're not a part of the revenue sharing and you do have a regular show, I would advise you to, you know, go ahead and join. It doesn't cost anything, and it basically pays you for being on the radio. And um, one thing we put together to help, all that take place was the uh, Radio Broadcasters Network, uh, which is at www.radiobroadcastersnetwork.ning.com, in which we will be able to provide resources for all of our radio host uh, partners, um, as well as create a database of the uh, radio host uh, guests, uh, anywhere from music artists, business people, medical experts, um, you know, the celebrities, uh, producers, uh, other talk show hosts, you know, anybody that comes on, we'll have them categorized so that if you need someone for that particular topic of your show, you can look on the database and you can find their contact information. Of course, they do get their permission, um, and then you contact them because they really want the promotion as well. So you contact them and um, you set up, you know, a schedule for them to be on your show and just make sure you put in uh, that you had them on your show or you're having them on the show on the uh, the website. And that will help us all grow and become, you know, very popular uh, radio hosts. And we'll be matching the mainstream um, radio networks, you know, just the same. So just want you to get that information, and we did put that web address in the chat room. So now I'm going to bring on my guest, Mr. Milo Young, and Milo's going to talk with us about some of his experiences and how he was able to deal with that. Milo, welcome to the show. Hello, Ravinda. How are you? Doing well today on this sunny day. Good, good. Doing pretty good myself. I'm kind of excited, anxious, and nervous. <laughs> oh, you don't have to be nervous. It's right, like, you don't have to be nervous. And we're, <laughs> and we're just in a conference, confirm, you know, a little... little uh, conference but it's not like a professional where you have to wear a suit you know and you have to talk about business all the time we're kind of comfortable here so we welcome you to the show and this is my co-host Nashiba and How you, doing, um, you know we'll we'll be asking you questions so Milo um, I understand that you had somewhat of a you know, a traumatic uh, life experience, and it brought you to different levels that you probably never thought you'd reach, and you found ways to, to you know, get yourself away from that. So can you tell us from, from the beginning how that all started for you? Well, I won't go back too far, but uh, I guess everybody's got issues in their lives. Everybody's got needs that need to be met that they find it difficult to find out how to how to meet those needs, whether it's love or approval or accept. 
um, growing up in a dysfunctional family and growing up, it's kind of difficult to have those needs met. So we turned to different things. In my case, I, I turned to uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, at, a, at a quite early age, you know, and you hang out with your friends, peer pressure, doing the things that everybody does. You know, that's the first way of being accepted, you know, the peers by doing the things that they do. Um, one thing leads to another, and the next thing you know, you're uh, strung out. Uh, I mean, all everybody doesn't believe that marijuana is the gate to harder drugs, but um, in my case, I guess if you have a predisposition or if it's uh, in your genetical makeup, you, you're going to have an easier time to find your way into that lifestyle, I believe. Um, it was about 1993 that I, uh, after I graduated from marijuana to uh, speed amphetamines, um, I guess I started snorting coke, and then I found uh, met the devil one day, and it was a whole different experience when I first started cooking. At the time, I was working at a TV station in Philadelphia, and, uh, you know, I thought my whole life was ahead of me. I was working in uh, office services, but I had chances to meet everybody in the, in the department that I worked in. I met everybody, from, you know, from all uh, departments. And working in a, um, uh, uh, it was a softball game. I met the, the sports director, and he had a softball team. So we we got together, and I went from there to I got my foot in the door at a sports uh, sports TV show where I was working with uh, Randall Cunningham of Philadelphia Eagles. I thought at that point that my life was taking off. Was also at that same time, though, that I had discovered crack cocaine. Uh, needless to say, after certain events here and there, you can't function uh, at a, a professional level your drugs, especially crack. So I found myself out of a job, out of a promising future that was uh, ahead of me. I thought. Eventually, I found myself out on the street. Um, it's a trip how in certain areas of Philadelphia you've got what I call middle-class people. Uh, I would walk down the block and around the corner, and I was right in the middle of crack town, so I had far to go to exercise that part of my life. So for quite a while I was kind of living a, a double life, you know, uh, mixing it up the with the well-to-do, mix, and then the same thing with uh, what we call crackheads. I've come to detest that term, being in a lifestyle, being amongst those people. Everybody is worthy of dignity and respect and attach labels to people by the lifestyles that they lead. And I think uh, I learned that that was unfair. But, you know, it was until I got, I went to rehab in 1996, um, in North Carolina, a place called Bethel Colony of Mercy. And they taught me a little bit about my background, about emotional um, healing, spiritual healing. I had been a Christian, but I hadn't lived the life of a Christian for quite some time up until this time. So I had 
committed my life to God, I thought like that was going to be the answer to my, my prayers. Uh, I was married first time, and I was trying to uh, rectify that relationship, but uh, eventually I would find myself back to the old habits. You know, when difficult to find a job, difficult to get people to understand what you're feeling and what you're dealing with, all of a sudden it's like, Instead of trusting God for this situation, I'm just coming out of addiction. I didn't have the tools felt at the time to deal with it, so I went right back to the lifestyle, what I knew. And um, so my first marriage dissolved, went back to rehab. Back in rehab, you know you know how when you're in school you get the, the label the most likely to succeed or I kind of had this label amongst my peers at rehab and the directors and the staff. So they asked me to join their staff. I was uh, what we call volunteers, but you live there, work with the um, the residents that come in and out of the program. I worked closely with the counselor, associate director, the counseling coordinator. My job was to meet each person as they came through and to, you know, help them get acclimated to the program and, that was a good opportunity for me to, um, I guess, to start to exert some of what I found out would later be calling was, was to help people out. Knowing the life that I had come from, uh, I, I didn't want to see other people going through it, but after three years working in that ministry, I had moved on with my life, so I got a house nearby and got a job and you know, when things don't get taken care of, you can all you can put band-aids on stuff and you can put salve on it, but if something's not healed at the root, it's going to surface again. And uh, next thing you know, you know, I thought, too, that getting away from Philadelphia was going to help me with my drug addiction. But there's drugs in North Carolina, too. Drugs Everywhere. in the... Uh, yeah. Drugs in the little towns. You know, I thought I was going down to this place at one time. I thought I was going to go down and, you know, being from the city, I was going to run these hicks and I was going to do this and I was going to do that. But listening to some of the guys talk about what they had through, um, a lot of my story was some of theirs. But um, so I went back into the program where I once was a staff member. And that was a, a shot to pride, you know, to myself. In fact, I felt that, you know, you start feeling, I can't do this. Win. I'm not. I can't be victorious. I can't. I can't. Can't. And that becomes a mindset that you can't do it. Um, so how, again, I went through the program, and eventually, though, everybody came to the conclusion that I wasn't growing at this place. Um, you know, I was a nice guy, and I was this, and I was that, but I was ready to move on. So I met this guy. Had come down. He was from Pittsburgh. He had been a preacher ministry one day, and he had a, a church in Statesville. So I decided I'm going to follow this guy. So that was where I ended up going, moving to Statesville, which is a, a town about 40 miles outside of Charlotte. And uh, needless to say, uh, what I thought the grass was going to be green on the other side, well, Statesville was my promised land. But uh, the 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 path that I would take to where I had to get to would still have a whole bunch of uh, bumps in the road, so to speak. 
this this gentleman, you know, I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to be careful what I say, how I choose my words. Um, I did not find ultimately when the rubber met the road and I would lapse. I didn't know what grace was in, in this man's eyes. I couldn't find grace. I couldn't find any love. Um, there was a lot of condemnation, a lot of humiliation. Uh, and eventually um, got kicked out of the church, the very place where where somebody that I, like I was has to be in order to help. Uh, they kicked me out. So, again... Where where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Those old feelings started becoming uh, prevalent to my mind that I couldn't do this. That I couldn't, you know, I was just destined for a life of drugs and a life of uh, hopelessness. But I, I met this guy who took me to a place called the Transformation Center here in Statesville, and uh, these people showed me. I mean, they. They never judged me. They never criticized me or condemned me. They just wanted to help me where I was. It was just help me to get acclimated to where I was and and love me and accept me. And um, from there, I learned who I was in Jesus. He taught me um, the essence, what I call the essence of salvation. Christ is is that He's a loving Father, not a condemning Father. God is. God of, of grace and love and uh you know there are consequences to your actions but he's never one you know the Bible says Jesus himself said I come in the world but that the world through me might be saved. So I learned that I was okay. I learned that Christian and accepting Christ as my savior I had the fullness of God living in me and it was a, you know just learning and realizing that put me to a point where all the needs that I felt I had to have met, loneliness, the, the unacceptance, the lack of approval, or the lack of feeling love, I had all that in Christ. And I had it all along just to realize it. And, you know, there was sometimes you need somebody to show you some things. I mean, the truth of reality, and, and I hadn't had that in my whole life. Um, so I decided... After a while, once I realized who I was in Christ, and still learning that, actually, um, I, became, I got on this quest of, of trying to share the same hope with others and would get some thoughts and some rhymes, and I'd write them down. And One day while I was in a program, there's a thing they call budding. It's when you bud, it's uh, building up drink or drug. And it's the thing where your body starts to get used to this, uh, whatever it is, whether it's alcohol or drugs, you be used to it if you use it on a regular basis. So however long, whatever intervals in between that you go, your body starts to get trained to, and when it doesn't get it, you get agitated, you get emotional, you get angry with those around you, you get short with everybody. Now, I have started going through this experience again. And I didn't know it before. I had been going through those things before, but never knew what it was. Um, so that was my first the first poem that I had written that had to do with my drug addiction. Uh, I Can See Jesus. And it just, that deals with going through life 
people telling you that um, it's part of your environment, you know, you're a product of your environment, you're a product of, um, of your parents, you know, of your physiological makeup, you're a product of, of this and that. But, uh, you know, again, as I was just saying, that I, I learned that Jesus, you know, he's, he's uh, the, the real I am, and he's the one who showed me that uh, through all the ups and downs, through people judging me or criticizing me, I couldn't see God because of all of those things, all those obstructions. Only learning that uh, who I was was able to see Jesus. And it's a pretty interesting poem. That's the first one I wrote, in, and then they would just start to come. People told me that to um, put it in a book. So I decided that once I got what I thought was enough together. Now, in the meantime, in the meantime, I'm getting this idea for a story, a novel. Uh, I'm writing the novel while I'm trying to finish this other book. I hope I'm not jumping ahead of myself here. But, um, the the main thing for me was to get this novel done was to tell people. Maybe that through the story of these these others, that people would get an idea of what a, a drug addict goes through. Because you get condemnation, you get um, you know, people don't trust you, and rightly so. People look down on you. Uh, there's a stigma attached to drug addiction or drug addict or junkie. You know, they're they're of no value. They have no worth. Um, so the drug addict himself goes through this, you know, is fighting not to believe that, but at some point that's just what you accept about yourself. So the novel was an attempt to write a story about two brothers, one uh, both police officers. And I got that idea because that's what I wanted to be at, in my life. I wanted to be a uh, Philadelphia police officer. And I went mm-hmm. through, went through. Now, up to the time when I decided that's what I wanted to do, though, I had a history of, of abuse. Um, I worked at places where people could, I was always somebody around that would give me some kind of help that would be of some sort of assistance. Um, if I needed some information on this, so happened there was somebody that could give me that, that information. Um, I was I was enthused, excited about being a police officer. Uh, I lost that enthusiasm after a while because the system was so slow. Um, I had placed pretty highly after after I finished the test. Um, by the time they back to me, I had started to lose my enthusiasm. But that's just a background. That's the reason that I made these guys cops to figure well I could live out that part of in a story. You know, I could be a police officer in a story. Two brothers that were raised by uh, godly parents, a parent, uh, the father being a pastor of the church, but they got killed um, early on in their lives. I think they were like teenagers. Uh, the one brother is so enamored with this idea why you know why people get so bent out of shape about crack why do people sell what they have why do they steal from people why do they kill why do they sell their bodies you know uh, I got to try it out and see what's so 
Okay. Well, uh, the brothers are Herbie and Kirby. They're twins, by the way. Um, Kirby asked he's going to smoke crack cocaine, and uh, of course he gets hooked. So the story much is going through the different experiences uh, and, you know, trying to find some hope hope in his own life, trying to find some worth in his own, in his own life. But he goes through battles with, with um, you know, that he's no good, that he'll never be any good. He can't stand to look at a self-mirror um, until, I don't, uh, he finds, he finds himself in, in, I guess already a Christian. I forgot to say that part. But that one, and that's another thing that people don't realize that even you're a Christian, that you, you, you know, your problems are not all, all done. Your problems are not solved. Uh, so he struggled with what maybe he really wasn't a Christian. Maybe he was this. Maybe he was that. And the brother Herbie, the other cop, he he's very adamant about getting drugs off the street. So when his brother starts using drugs, of course, he wants to disown his brother. He doesn't want to have anything to do with his brother. So Herbie deals with the fact that, his, you know, he feels like his brother doesn't love him. He feels that, um, also, the, I wrote into the story about dealings with um, the church and how some people in church can look down on you, how a lot of, a lot of churches would turn their backs on you because you have a problem instead of that being the hospital, spiritual hospital that you know, that helps you get well, get to the curb, some of them do. Um, and I think that a, a lot of people can relate to that. So all in all, though, the, the story is, a, is a, a story of redemption. Right now the title of the story uh, is A Song of Redemption. And it's it's complete, but the cover, I'm working on the cover, I'm hoping that that will be done uh, in another week, and then I can get it back to the publishers, and, and maybe the early part of May it'll be done. Uh, my poetry book, called You Can Still Rise Again, um, the title poem is pretty much like the story of my life in, in a poem at the end of the book. Um, it's a good way to to bring it to a head, I thought. But, um, you know that is that is really a, a good way to share the pain that you feel, you know, about circumstances in your life, because it's like a freedom. You you know you don't just write it out as you know like you would just regular dialogue, but you could just you know write expressions and and just use it creatively, and that sort of helps you give peace from whatever it is that you're dealing with, um, while you try to find other ways to just solve your issues and to get help and get people to understand, you know, that you really do want help. And I understand that, you know, having addictions like, like you've had and like a lot of other people have, it's not easy to to ask for the help. It's not easy to admit that you need the help. And I, I believe that it's something that get, you get caught up in because of the influence you have on those, you know, addictions. And uh, it could be any type of addiction, but sometimes they do get a hold of you where, you can't think correctly and you can't think, you know, that it's something that's bad for you because in some cases it's feeling too good to be bad, you know. So um, now you had some issues that were happening in your life 
and brought you to that point. Now, did you have family involved at any time that, you know, may have been able to either step in or, you know, to help you or anything like that? Um, I've had, I guess I went through, my experience in general was uh, one of saying, you know, and I know that my family loved me. And see, at the, at the time, when I was, I was eventually homeless, and I would go to Buddy's house and can I spend the night? We'd stay up all night talking, and he would let me crash, and next night it would be the same thing. Eventually, you know, third night was, was no. So I would go to my family. Uh, I, I remember a time wanting to only sleep on the porch, and I was I was not allowed to sleep on a family member's porch. And I thought that that was the, the lowest blow. Now, again, I know how people view drug addiction or uh, the drug addict. Uh, so to not be able to see it from their side, even though to some degree you understand, I understand that you look at me like this and you think I'm this or that, but all I'm asking, you know, it's, it's almost to me it was the equivalent of sleep steps in the yard, you know, wasn't allowed to sleep in the yard. I thought that surely, you know, I, I'm, I'm equal to, a, I'm worth as much as, as a dog, you know. And, and I'm speaking for how I felt, and I'm not saying that that's how they felt about me. The bottom line was they weren't going to help me that way. It was it was a tough love thing. I'm fine with my family now. We 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 get along great. I love them and they love me. Uh but they they were looking at it as a thing that helped me if they're enabling me. And I understood that later, but you know, to answer your question, the help the help that I got was from from the people at that the church that I now attend. Uh, it was, I guess, about seven, eight years ago when I first went there. Same people that had the program, and it was, it was just the love showed me in the middle of my addiction, the acceptance. You know, I wasn't a bad guy anymore. I wasn't a low life anymore. I was somebody of worth. I was worth enough of them to help me get out of the street. Uh, you know, I was worth enough to them to get to trust me when when I was on. Untrustworthy, and they they were the ones that taught me. Uh, Ron Ross and Ed Corey, and Charles Williams, those are the guys that taught me who I was in Christ. That that made the difference. I used to sit back and look. Did I have any uh, particular turning points in my life? There were a lot of turning points, but you know, when I was at Bethel Colony, that was uh, I still consider them family. You know, I spent a lot of time and I learned a lot of things from Paul Ritchie and, and Don Lawson, those guys. These were significant men in my life today. Uh, but I had more of a dealing with, with the guys later on. Uh, these guys at Bethel Colony, they would teach the same thing. I just wasn't getting it. And that's, that happens a lot of times with, with addiction. You can... You, show somebody like you were saying earlier step is saying yeah I got a problem but you get past that then you open your your heart up to what can be the the fix so to speak in your life now for some people it's other things but you know uh, I believe that 
Jesus is the only true answer for all of your problems. So, um, you know, he, he showed himself to me eventually after I thought it was a long time coming. Sometimes you just don't get and, and the turning point learning that I was accepting Christ, you know, and that was a big deal to me. Finally now, nobody were nobody was, was uh, shunning me. Nobody was looking down at me. Well, of course you're going to have those do, but um, generally speaking, in my immediate circle, it was support and structure along with grace and love and acceptance. Um, yeah, so that, you know, that made me want to start to tell the story of how you can be a nobody, that God still loves you. Even in your worst state, God still loves you, no matter what you, um, no matter how, how far you think you've gone, still loves you, and you're still worth something. You're still worthy to him because of Christ. Um and I, I want people to see that that people that are with addictions, like you said too, it's not just drug addictions. You can you can have whatever I call them controlling issues. Anything that controls your life, thing that gets in the way of normality, true normality. Um, there's a there's a way out and there's hope. You you feel look yourself in the mirror every day. And feel like this is just another day, that mundane life, that um, where do I have to go? It's the same old stuff, and you start to accept that. But but you don't have to accept that, you know, because there's a way out. There is hope. And sometimes, like I said, no matter how far you you think you've gone, I've been I've been homeless twice. Um, I've had the cops in on me with the guns drawn, and I knew that I was going to jail. And God just didn't see fit for me to go, you know. I mean, I thank him for those things. I don't take that stuff for granted anymore. But he, he never had me go to jail. Even even when I um I had a time where this gentleman, was, I was looking for a place to stay, and this gentleman rented, rented uh, his, a room in his house out to me. And after about three or four months, I was doing great, and... Here it comes again, and, you know, I, I, I robbed that man blind. When I thought I was going to jail, I turned myself in, and uh, I gave a statement, but the guy the guy didn't want to charge against me. <laughs> Why not is, is, is God, you know. So... You know, we can take those experiences and those situations for granted and think we can get away with stuff. And I know people that have done that uh, push the hand of God, so to speak. Um, and that's a dangerous thing to do. You know, at that point, I, I decided that uh, even though I, I had relapses, um, but I decided that, uh, you know, I was at least going to respect people that were trying to help me. You know, I went to a, I went to, I've been to three different rehabs. All of them were Christ, faith-based. Um, I went to one for days, and I, the, the night before, I prayed and Lord, I, I turned my life over to you, and I, I just give it all up to you. The next morning, I realized I had one more 
take from the job that I got fired from. And I walked away from that place. Go get, you know, because I wasn't done yet. So, um, you know, you can feel like there's no, and I go back to that because I can't stress that enough, that you can think that there's a way out. You can think that it's just a cycle of destruction and despair. But uh, now there are things that you have to do as a person, as, a, as an addicted person. There are, you know, I prayed to liken myself to a spiritually handicapped and you know like if you have a, a physical handicapped uh, young man or lady can't care for themselves and you have to feed them you have to bathe them you have to wipe the butt I felt that was me spiritually and I used to ask God why did he not take me the way I needed to be cared for um, you know and I blamed him you know that's another thing that that uh people in addiction do, they blame everybody for the circumstances except for themselves. And I blame God eventually because he didn't remove me. God, I pray to you every day. I'm begging you. I'm asking. I cry on my knees. And all that's in the book, too. These situations where this Kirby is crying out to God because he doesn't want to be you know, nobody wants to be a junkie. You don't, you don't wake up one day and say, I think I'm a a drug addict today or, you know, for the rest of my life. Nobody wakes up and suddenly wants to be a junkie. But when if that's what you find yourself doing, uh, you have to make some sort of effort yourself, you know. I believe that um, sometimes God will just reach down and pull you out of stuff sometimes. I know people that he's done that for. I wasn't the one. You know, I think that realize that you have to stay away from the people that you used to hang with. You have to stop certain habits that are affiliated or, um, you know, that would make you think about your addiction or your, your drug use. You have to make some kind of effort. When you get tempted, um, you have to, as, as hard as it is, you, you can't say no to drug addiction. It's, you know, that's a, a old a cliche, old you know, um, marketing thing, but, you you know, you can't just say no to crack addiction. It's not that easy. But there are steps that you have to take in, in anything that you want to do if you want to be victorious of it, you know. Oh, you know, surrendering my life to the Lord was the first step. But there were things that he had, that he had for me to do myself, you know, um, and there's no way in shape or form that I'd put myself out of that. But I think you know what I mean. You know, you gotta you gotta make a move yourself. You gotta put forth effort because people can't do it for you. Your friend, your boyfriend, your husband or wife, your mother, your father, they're not gonna do it. They can't do it for you. You gotta decide by the choices that you make. That's what you're gonna do. And Eventually, they started to click in my brain, in my spirit, in my soul. Started making some right choices. Um, that doesn't mean that it's over. It's a thing, uh, a very controversial part of you know, that it's a disease. I'm, I'm not one to think that it's a disease. I think that it's a spiritual condition. Um, even though it might be, you might be uh, physiologically inclined to allow yourself 
but um, I believe it's a spiritual condition, you know, and it's it's a huge part of it is is uh, spiritual warfare. And the more you learn about spiritual life, the more you learn about drug addiction, if that's what, what your issue is, all those things have to be accounted for. All those things have to be considered for you to um, to walk victoriously. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, my, my quest in life, I believe, is, is to encourage people to help them to see that they're not out. They might be down, but they're not out. And they never have to be out, you know. Um, you know, that's, that's of course, what you... Of course, that is uh, the ultimate goal, you know, to share to share what happens, what really happens, you know, when you have those type of addictions and those things that, you know, there's a lot of people that won't believe in until it, it happens to them, but... I believe that if you if you pr- practically pound it into their heads and sh- expose them to it, then you know they will see that that is just not something they prefer to have happen to themselves. You know, so now you you know you, the the best thing you could have done was to turn to God. So you know when you when you did that the first time and then you you may have you fell down a few steps. You know. How did you feel towards God that when you fell? I mean, some people would blame him, and some people would just feel unworthy. Did you have any feelings like that at all? Oh, definitely. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, when you learn that in Christ are worthy because of Christ. I mean, outside of your, outside of Christ, we we're not worthy. None of us are. Whether you, you know, have an addiction or you don't, none of us are worthy um, in Christ. Because of his redemption, yeah, we're all uh, where he counts us worthy because of, we just celebrated Easter. Well, that's about, you know, the own resurrection. You know, we're now he, he went through all of that. God counts us, those of us that are in Christ, that have been saved. We, we're now, uh, he looks at us the same way he looks at We have the righteousness of God. So, if God looks at me that way, I need to learn to look at myself that way. I need to look at others that way. Um, so that sense of worthlessness, you know, that was done away with. You know, but I tell you what, if you're not consistent, if you don't walk in, in the life that, that God has established for you, things and circumstances, people, you know, even the whisper in your ear from the enemy, you, you'll start hearing those, you'll start seeing those old things and feelings about uh, worthlessness. But, um, yeah, I, I dealt with that, and, you know, you have to, you have to stay, you have to stay in, uh, under the Lord's protection. And I, I mean, that, you know, you can't start going off thinking that you're good now. Yeah, everything's good, and you start to walk away. Because you're walking right back out there, right out of the protection, out and in, into in, in the world that is waiting for you. Um, one of my poems deals with that, and it's called "There Is a World." And it talks about the evil and the ruthlessness of the world, uh, and that's not a place that you want to be. You know, we have to go out, and we have to work, we have to function in this world. There's, there's a 
a context of the world that we don't want anything to do with. And if we find ourselves, and it's just at the, the tip of our fingers, you know, if we really want it that bad, which sometimes we think we do, and we'll remember all the good times that we had while we were high, getting high, that, that uh, euphoria and that adrenaline, we remember that sometimes. It comes back to entice you, I guess. So sometimes you just get a recollection out of, out of the clear blue sky. You'll be thinking of uh, apple pie and baseball, and the next thing you know, you remember somewhere sitting in the car hitting a pipe. Um, but we that's what I learned is uh, fork recall, remembering the good, but forgetting the fact you spent all your money that, you know, maybe the cops locked you up or, or um, somebody jacked, beat you up. No, or you got locked up, or or even some people that have gone back and have have died. Um, while I was at Bethel Colony, that three years, the men that came in and out of that program, that I've met uh, 14 of them, three-year period, died of uh, some sort of drug-related death, whether it was um, overdose, his heart couldn't couldn't stand up to the pressure, of suicide, murder, you know, all because they decided to go back. I had gone back time too many where I believed that um, they want that to be my legacy. I didn't want people to remember me that way. And that was one of the things that, that uh, kind of helped me to, to stay the path that, I, that I'm on now. Hello, this is Anishiba. Um one, one of the things I definitely want to say is the beauty of, of God is he accepts all of us just as we are and he pierces through down to the heart. So sometimes despite the loss of confidence that one may go through when you're dealing with an addiction, that God still is always with you. One of the questions I did want to ask, ask you is in your writing, do you find that that has become a part of your healing process? And your testimony in and of itself is not only, I believe, healing uh, towards you, but to others that may very well be listening in, uh, a means by where they can potentially take their first step and so they can arrive to the same place and the same type of revelations that you've currently arrived to. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this like the, the issues of worthlessness, you know, um, and and that's I deal with that a lot in in the book, even in my poetry. That's a lot of my writing deals with with God. I I can't do it. Why am I here? Why have you forsaken me? To learning that you know He's the one that kept you circumstances from getting worse. You know. Uh, but yeah. I, I had a, uh, at one point there was no confidence that things would get better. Um, but the more looking back, you know, and it was kind of hard at times when I was first starting to write the, the book, I had to relive a lot of things. Um, I had to really pray before I started to write because my mind would go back to those places with time. Um, and as I was saying, sometimes, you know, like, I remember this. <laughs> now, the story is not autobiographical, but I'm, I'm living, I'm telling my story pretty much through these different characters. Um, of course, I, I make some things up, but um, I had to relive a lot of the reality 
of what I was writing about. And that was kind of difficult, you know, remembering remembering the hurt that I took other through. Um, you know, even even my my wife now, uh, we met when I was in rehab the last time. And, uh, you know, she's she's been by my side the whole time and, and a big support. But um, there was there was a time or two where I had relapsed uh, right before we got married. Um, you know, the last thing that you really want is to see tears, to see pain in the face of somebody that you love. And when that happens, that almost reinforces that you are failure. You're never going to do this. You just can't get it right. So any any momentum that you thought you had got kicked to the curb because here you are uh, hurting somebody, hurting another person again. Um, you know, God has been able to heal those situations and, and those hurts. Uh, you know, and that's something that I never want to see again, you know. I mean, I know we, we, we upset our spouses. You know, you go back and forth and you get mad and you, you say things sometimes that you don't mean. But but that's a whole different kind of thing than when you when you uh, are in a lifestyle or even if you just relapse. But when you really relapse and, and you, you the person that loves you, that's another thing that... I think too. I mean, it, it's not. I'm not trying to say that. Um, you know, yeah, drug addicts people too. You know, do a commercial for that. You know, but drug addicts are people too. Drug addicts feel, have dreams, they have hopes. And part of the uh, in my story, there's a there's a woman who was um, turned out by a drug deal. But she was a brilliant, you know, uh, academically, and um, you know, I use a lot of places and schools and, and stuff but you know there was she had a life until she met this guy who said that he loved her and eventually she started selling a body but that's what she thought she was uh, confined to with that lifestyle and eventually Kirby they start to actually encourage each other but um, Kirby goes through marital problems he goes through where he just believes that his wife's never going to accept and you know, if he could get right, if he could do this, if he could just this and that, then maybe she was, you know, letting back into her life. But um, instead of handling the things that you have to handle, the person that has to be in order to be a, a good husband or a good wife, you know, you have to get you straight first. And um, so I'm I'm hoping that uh, that people can feel that. I mean, when you read a story, I'm really hoping that that comes out to that person that they can feel the pain and the struggle and that they've never struggled with drug alcohol themselves. That's really part of the audience that I'm trying to appeal to is the people that have never, you know, maybe they've been hurt or abused by someone who had an addiction. So this might help them to see and that they were going through that whole time as well. Um but it was, I was realizing that when I got a third of the way through, that going through and, and instead of trying to keep it in, you know, I was, I was there was therapy for me. And I started receiving healing, writing the story. 
because as I said, I was getting this out of me. I was um, putting it down on paper. And one of the things that me doesn't want is for people to set free. This is helping me this define greater freedom. It's also a tool and method for somebody else to find freedom. And that's one of the things that the enemy doesn't want is for somebody else to find truth, for somebody else to find the way out. Amen. That's right. And that's exactly what needs to be done. And we're going to take a very short break and um, play a song by uh, one of my favorite artists, uh, Curtis Mayfield. Um, It was, you know, an era of our lifetime that there was a lot of this going on, and we didn't have the resources to get us through these you know, these situations. So I'm going to just play something just for, you know, old times' sake. And, and it was a lot of inspirational songs created back then, you know, to help brothers and sisters out. So I want to give you time to give me a little glass of water or something, and we'll come back and talk about, you know, what paths you're taking to help others and, uh, you know, things like that. So let me go ahead and put on the song and take a little short break. All right. Say it's alright. It's alright. It's alright. Have a good time. Cause it's alright. Whoa, it's alright. We're gonna move it slow. When lights are low. When you move it slow. It sounds like a moan. And it's alright. Whoa. Now listen to the beat Kinda patch your feet You got soul And everybody knows That it's alright Yeah. 
Welcome back, welcome back. That was a very inspirational song by Curtis Mayfield. Uh, it's all right, and I know it meant a lot to a lot of my family members that were going through issues, and it was something that was directed towards letting people know that, you know, there's help out there for whatever you're going through. So, Milo, when you when you think of all your experiences, uh, what steps did you take to help other people that were you know, going through the same type of experiences? Um, I guess it's just first of all, I, I let people know um, about my struggle, whether it was at the workplace. But you got to be careful with that, though. Uh, work, you know, um, wherever I go, um, it started out that way at least, uh, to let people know um, who you are now and what you stand for, and what you're not going to stand for. Um, and sometimes those around you, and of course, one of the one of the mistakes that a person that's going through an addiction, that's in their addiction, can make is to not tell anybody. And of course, you've got shame issues that you deal with. You know, you've got guilt and all of that, um, which just to a large degree is understandable. But you know, that's another another part where, where Christ comes in is, is, you know, he despises shame. Shame is not of, of Christ. But you're in yourself and you're looking at the things that you did, places that you've been. So, uh, you know, you gotta you got to make it known um, as you're coming out of where you are. And that's that's a kind of a hard thing. you got to be real discreet about it and, and you've got to show some wisdom. Um, you got to be careful I mean, people that are looking for jobs, I made the mistake wanting to be honest and have all the cards on the table. I made the mistake of telling people I had an addiction problem. Uh, I was this and I was that. I, I, I never tell, you know, I never say that that's what I am. But that's never been. It's never been who I am. Um, drug, drug addiction is something that you do, not who you are. And once you can start to realize, uh, well, you will use drugs, and you know, I guess we'll have an issue with this. But use drugs, but you're not what you do. Um, Amen. If you can start to see that, that will change. You know, perspective is huge. The way you see yourself is huge. Uh, if you see yourself as no good, worthless, failure, then that's what you're gonna that's how you're gonna operate. If you if you start to see yourself as, as a, a a person with a struggle, you know, um I think that helps the the odds uh, I would say that that would give put you on the right track to, to find your freedom. Um and if you relapse not that relapse is acceptable or that it's good, but in an odd way, uh, I think you understand it's it's, it's okay to fall, but you got to get up. Um, drug addiction is not okay. Smoking crack, weed, drinking, all that stuff is not okay. If you fall, you can get up, you know. And the 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 failure to me, stand down. Not in the act itself is not the failure. The failure is staying down. Um, 
my mother used to, uh, she was a strong individual to the day she died, and I think, I like to think that I get a lot of that inner strength from her. You know, uh, I fell a lot of times, but I never gave up. You know, even if it looked like I had thrown a towel in, you know, deep down inside, I never gave up. Even when I did feel hopeless, I guess there was something down in me that wasn't going to accept that circumstance. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or not. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Let me just um, go into a little bit more. Um, do you do any motivational speaking, you know, like to um, to high schools or, um, you know, uh, group homes, uh prisons or anything like that because uh, there's a lot of people that, that really need that intervention yeah. you know in those places those are right so and excuse me to uh, piggyback on that can you man this may help someone the the moments that you do that you have uh, rehab do you feel that those were more emotionally based spiritually based or a combination of that in conjunction with, with uh, associates that you had First of all, first off, the first time was emotionally based. Uh, I believe that the first time when I finally admitted that I had problems and I wanted to fix my relationships at the time, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted things to be, you know, cool and everything. But I don't think I really did it for myself, um, and that's that's another big problem when, when people make these steps. If you're going to take a step to uh, victory, you've got to do it for you. Uh, you can't do it for your wife, your husband, uh, your mother, which is a lot of times the case. You can't do it for people. Uh, you got to do it for yourself. Afterward, you know, it was it was the spirituality, you know, when you start to slip away from God, Sometimes you um, you want to start to to do whatever is necessary. If you if you get back into uh, addiction, it depends. Sometimes you can you know a couple of times that I realized I fell back into that lifestyle very quickly, um, to where I didn't even see the Lord anymore. You know, I mean, in a big way, I didn't see Him, but. Um, it was more spiritual the times when I knew that I had to, before it falls any further apart, any more apart, I have to get back. And sometimes we rely on re- rehab. We rely on facilities. Uh, you become institutionalized to where it's like you ever see those movies when somebody spends so much time in jail and they get out, they can't function outside. They got to do something to go, to, to go back in. That's very um, true. Yeah, and and a lot of times people don't want to leave um, rehab, especially the, the ones that I've been feeling. I don't know anything about secular rehab that I've never been, but the faith-based facilities and the people that I've I've gotten to know have been like an extended family. And a lot of times, in my case, you know, I didn't have a great father figure. I love my dad, but uh, you know, he provided for us, but he didn't. He provided materially, but nothing for your soul. He didn't provide those things that would help to nurture you as a person. And I, I went through my life, um, even after he died, I went through looking for father figures uh, subconsciously. Um, Paul Ritchie was a father figure. So, when, you know, once you once you get to these places and you get 
brothers and you get father figures, you don't want to go. And for the longest time, I didn't want to leave. Um, now, the last time around was the most significant experience for me because, as I was saying, I started to get it. I started to see understand the spiritual implications of certain things. I started to understand um, what being in Christ meant. You know, um, learning that still, the the book of Ephesians, uh, particularly the first chapter, you know, talks about being in Christ, um, that I have everything that I need in Christ. And it's just learning learning what those things are. You know, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ, you know, one of the biggest things that started to get with me was that I am the righteousness of God, you know, in him. Um, so, yeah, it, it started to become more of a spiritual thing because I, I wanted to get right. And uh, when I was in this last facility, I, I got to move around and we got to do a lot of things in the community and stuff. And even after a uh, as late as as late as maybe a couple of years ago, we'd go to the home shelter, and I'd share my testimony when I when I could. And, but um, you know, I, I want to use the excuse with time restraint constraints because a lot of times it's things that you can do. But uh, the job that I have now it limits me on a daily basis the time that I you know that I have to myself, and sometimes then we start to get selfish with our time, and I've got two hours, I've got maybe accumulated eight hours a week that I just to myself. Well, God told me that in order to get time, it's like sowing seeds, you know, whatever you sow, you will reap. So I need to start sowing time. Um, at this point, we've, we've got a ministry, well, I don't know if it's official, but I know we have people at church that, that do prison uh, things. I, I did that years ago before my serious addiction even started, which is kind of ironic. But um, those are the things that I want to do. I, I'm hoping for success as a writer where I can uh, have the time to do the things that I have to do. Now, what I need encouragement in, because I've not, not made it, so to speak, uh, you know, I'm, I still battle with issues. I still battle with, uh, with my time, with selfishness, with... Um, you know the same thing that people did for me. Uh, I'm I struggle through to to be that same person that you know that God God gave me this and this. You know now all these years later, um, I want to be I want to be the person that's that's actively out there. You know now I, there's oftentimes I, I'm in the street going here going there even at work with the customers that I have where I can I can get a chance to minister to them and to share with them my story and uh, be of encouragement to them. Um, I've had that opportunity uh, quite a few times to do to do things on a regular basis. Uh, I like to say that I'm I'm waiting for my time to really seriously be freed up and and that can only come with with the success of this of these books. Uh, that's my hope, but in the meantime, I'm I'm trying to do what I have to do, as they say, till I can do what I want to do. Um, hmm. But I don't want to I don't want to leave anybody hanging, you know. Um, 
if somebody gives me, I'll I'll get calls to to go to somebody's house or to call somebody up that's going through this or that. Um, I know that that's my my duty, so to speak. That's uh, what I have. That's what I have to do. It's not a it's not an obligation. That's just something that I have to do to help to save you know somebody's life. Um, the you know I, every so often I go to the facility that um, one of them is uh, not in business anymore, so to speak. The transformation center had to close down because of lack of funds. But uh, Bethel Colony in Lenore, North Carolina, they're still up and, and running, and I get to go back from time to time to uh, share with those guys and with the staff. It's like a family reunion time, but I get to share with what God has done for me. And uh, I talk a lot about grace. God gave me a lot of mercy and a lot of grace, and he reminds me in various life life situations that I'm what I need to be to others, you know, graceful and merciful. Because that's, God showed me nothing but grace and mercy, like I said, keeping me out of jail. And, um, you know, and worse, you know, there have been times when I've had guns in my face and people threatened to shoot me. Uh, but he didn't allow that to happen. So Yes, because you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> And you're listening to your testimony. It's just a matter of being at peace with you already there, the success of the book, the success of your testimony, the the place where you are at spiritually, although we all continue to grow spiritually daily. I believe you're already there, and I have no doubt in my mind your book will be successful because he saved you for such a time as this. Right. You know, and I believe, you know, God, God gives you the desires of your heart, the scriptures say. Well, I think more so, more than anything else, Works you around. Uh, I think I'm trying to remember the verse. Um, his workmanship created for for his purpose. Uh, whatever it is he wants us to do. Something I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit. But he will put a desire on your heart. I was writing this story. I kept seeing it like it was wall, like seeing it up on the wall, like it was a, a movie. And um, that's your confirmation. That's what I wanted. <laughs> I believe that the world is gonna is gonna witness this story. I believe that the world is gonna see um see it acted out in front of their faces because there's people that don't read. I I'm ironically I'm not a reader. You know, I wanna be more of a reader but I I got all these ideas coming out. I've got I, you know, I'm work on the sequel to this story and I've got a spin off from that one in my mind. So um you know, we don't we don't get these things for no reason. You know, God gives us uh, God gives us the idea He puts it in the heart And that we have to do now, He's going to aid us along the way But that's what we have to do The work And I'm learning that You know God didn't give me a story And I'm thinking Oh he's just going to bless it And make it a A, a seller And it's going to reach millions you you got some leg work to do And I'm, I'm just starting to realize that You know I use I see Tyler Perry as an example He's a big uh, inspiration to me and the things that he had to endure, and he had to try it over and over and over and over again until, you know, it started to, um, people started to come out to his place, for instance. I, I want to, I want to be good at what I do, because so, I want a better story to be able to tell people to, so they can better understand what it is that, you know, that uh, that I've been through. And 
I think they're all geared, basically. They're all got to do with uh, addiction issues because I think that um, uh, people that are dealing with addiction are like the dread, the dregs of society, the scum of the earth. And, and you know, I heard this story about a, a $20 bill. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but asked talking to a son and he asked him, he pulls out a $20 bill and he asked him, hey, you like this? Do you want, you want this? He said, sure, I want it, you know. He said, yeah, I'm sure. He throws it on the ground and he puts it in the mud and he stomps it and gets it all dirty and wrinkled, picks it up. Shakes it off, and it's you know it's dirty, muddy, and wrinkled. He said, "You still want it?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "Why?" He said, "Cause it's twenty dollars." No matter condition, still has the same value. Whether you you're some well-to-do, uppity, whatever you want to see yourself as successful, or whatever, or you down at you know what you think might be your last breath, curb somewhere, you're as valuable as that other person, so. Exactly. And if a lot of people really read or when they have an opportunity to meditate on the Bible, they'll find that a lot of the disciples that followed Christ had many issues before they arrived at that point. And there's so many multiple stories within the in the Bible that, you know, when, especially when you're talking about condemnation, where people were being treated like that. But ultimately they rose to the occasion when God called their name, which which is exactly what you're doing right now. So we can't always judge people at the levels that we have a tendency of judging people because God knows that person by their heart no matter what they've done. Exactly. The other people judging them may not know them, but God knows them, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. And you clearly are rising to the occasion, and you clearly have answered the call. Are we going to be blessed today with some of your poems? Uh, I'm sure. Would you like to hear one? Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, you put you put me off guard here. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, they they all have a tendency to be on the long side. So, uh, would you like to hear? Uh, um, I can see Jesus. I can finally see Jesus. I'd like to leave one for the. Uh, for the, those that buy the book, Rise Again, that's the one that I like for people to actually read themselves. Uh, but this one is, I can see Jesus. See the cracked man in every day. No matter which way I turn, there's always one in the way. Peddling pain, destruction, and death. I remember you pulling me up out of that mess. Drug dealers all over. Lord, I know what to do. And you know I want to stay true to you, but pressures inside of me keep building up, building up, trying to get me to drink from death's cup. The old ways of life haunt me while I'm sleeping. Violence and fear cause me to wake up weeping. Twisting and turning, dreams distort my view. The night's rest, far in between, few. I made lots of promises that were too far beyond me. Devil setting stumbling blocks that I couldn't see. Remember the first time I committed that sin. I promised I'd never, ever do that again. I know the devil. He's the father of lies. There are times that I believe him, and I don't know why. He told me I was a product of what was around me. 
Because of generations, it was part of my destiny. I see my ex-wife looking down on me, my mother with teary eyes asking, how could this be? I see all the jobs and all the money they paid, my father rolling round and round inside of his grave. See living a life with nothing really to show, walking the streets with nowhere else left to go. Sandra, that's my wife, a heart of hurt that cannot be spoken. I see the pain of all the hearts of hurt that I've ever broken. Then I see Jesus, as I see Jesus. And he tells me that these things, they never were true. You've been believing the lies that were told to you. He told me about freedom, that the truth would be making. And all the things the devil stole, right back I'd be taken. He said, my child, you've got my power in you. Go on and do what you've got to do. I laid down my life and took it up again. You could have victory over this sin. I said, oh, Lord, for this day I've been waiting. No, you're not finished yet, but neither is Satan. Because he's relentless like a stinking cockroach, deceptive and subtle with accusations and reproach. I said, child, he roars like a lion to fool you. But I am is the true lion of Judah. I'll get you through all the struggles that be because my grace will always be sufficient for thee. So now when smoking rock in my mind rages, and on the one and only rock of ages, this world I refuse to be conformed. Praise the Lord, because right now I'm being transformed. Let me rest in your love, Lord, and take knowing that you are renewing my mind, healing my heart so that I can see clearly. Satan can't use my troubled past against me. When the deeds of the flesh work themselves in my head, I just have to remember the old man is dead. Thank you that your love is changing my heart. Thank you that each day is a brand new start. I still see the crack man every day. Now I want to show him there's life in your way. I've been praying for him because you love him too. Eventually, you're going to bring that crack man to you. Now I can see and his word says it loud that I am the righteousness of God. Learning to see the lies and I'm not going to hear it. Now I'm listening. I found some forgiveness, relationships mended. Some choose not to forgive, but to the Lord I send it. Got to keep stepping in my life regardless. They come from God and I know the rest of the hardness. See that my life is now hidden in Christ. I'm a new creation. Has changed my life. Now I want to do what He uses. Eyes being opened, I can finally see Jesus. The end. That was excellent. God, God is all over him. All over him. <laughs> all over him. That's all I got to say there. <laughs> it's all for His glory. I just, I just want Him to be glorified and everything, just so people can see that you know. If you trust God, pick Amen. you up. Amen. Mm-hmm. That was really, really beautiful and very much anointed. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I believe, I believe that um, it's a gift that He's given me, and you know, there are times I was telling some friends yesterday that uh, I'll get some words and hate them. In bed and trying to get to sleep and something will come through my mind 
and I'm like, Lord, help me to remember this tomorrow because I'm going to sleep. And <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I could see it sometimes as a burden um, because this thing's always going through, and I, I start more than I finish. But this that poem that I just read, the product of me getting up out of bed and just pressing in and just writing it. Oh, and I wrote it in, I think, a couple couple of days I finished it, whereas a lot of times it'll be weeks, you know, because they haven't mm-hmm. been Because i got a story to tell in the poetry. Uh, however it comes out is how it comes out. Some are longer, some are shorter. But um, Exactly. I call it auto-writing. That's how I wrote my, my book, Anytime the Urge. And a lot of writers that kind of either believe in auto-writing or not, and some I think do and don't realize it, is the words literally pour out from your yeah. spirit unto your hands, and you don't even really have control over it. It literally just pours out the way exactly the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I believe, I believe w- that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that, too. I mean, that you never know what your purpose is, and sometimes you you don't know that your struggles and your sacrifice is your purpose because you won't know how to help somebody else or what they're going mm-hmm. through unless you experience it yourself. You know, and a lot of people don't see that. They don't understand that, you know, and it's just really strange, you know, really strange that you find yourself in that position and then you find a way out of it, and you still are able to help other people, you know, find their way. So in a yes, way, that's we, like we a, never know why. We never always know why we go through some of the experiences, traumatic or not traumatic, as to where it's going to lead us one day. Right. I believe you know, that. And it's, it's like it's a sacrifice that we make. You know, just like you know, Jesus made a sacrifice for us. I think in in certain people's lifetimes. They go through that 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 really serious sacrifice, which ends up helping somebody else, which is like we take the place of Jesus' place on earth whenever we go through something like that. That's that's the whole purpose of Corinthians. Uh, the fact that it's in the, the front of my picture um, too. the comfort. We go through, God comforts us for the things that we go through so we can in turn comfort somebody else. Um, you know, you go through an addiction, just say, or whatever whatever it might be. Maybe maybe you're the, the mother of a child that's been killed or something, you know. God will heal you and prepare you to be a blessing to somebody else that's going to go through that same experience. So we we all the things that we suffer we don't suffer for ourselves we don't suffer I mean it's definitely for a reason. You, know, you say, "What, well, Lord? Why are you taking me through this? Why am I, I'm going this for somebody else that's going to need?" You know, um, it's a, a ripple effect. The things that uh, it's like the devil thought that he had Jesus when when they crucified him. He thought that was it. He didn't know. <laughs> No, he didn't know. No, and and all the things, the things that the enemy tries to do that he thinks is going to be to our destruction, God uses for His glory, and He uses them for His triumph and for ours. You know, He allows. That's the great thing. He allows us to share in in the triumph and the victory. You know, so 
if there's somebody that's suffering with whatever it is that we've been through, we know what it's like now. We can go and our job is to help that person through it. And then in turn, that that person gets healed spiritually and they get, you know, they start to walk in victory and then they go and help somebody else and it's an ongoing thing. So it's important that we do the first works. You know, we got to do it first. We got to get the ball started. Wherever, whatever happened before us, you know, that's, that's history, so to speak. And, you know, you got to on that thing. So we, we've got to, we've got to press on from here because there's a world, a world that needs us. And especially at a time, the times that we're currently in more than ever. Yeah, because, you know, now I live in a town that's relatively small, um, coming from the city when there's crime every day, all day somewhere, there's crime or something. You know, there's there's issues here. You you know, we might have about three murders a year, maybe. Um, now, the place got robbed the other night in the little country part of the town, and, and uh, they, they, they broke in the door and, and Rob broke the ATM machine and got a couple grand out. But that's the thing things that you've never heard going on uh, in this part of, uh, in this part of the, you know of the south but um people are trying to find the easy way out though you know now I can't say what what their intentions were what the motive was you know but things like that are starting to happen a little bit more frequently um, where you it used to be surprised not to hear about it when you came when I came down here and now I'm starting to when I don't, and that's that's not a, an encouraging sign of the times, you know. But it is a sign of the times, but it's not encouraging at all. But I believe I believe that God God's faithful is going to bring us through. You know, those of us that we, if you believe Him and you're and you're sowing your seed, and you know you're you're uh, walking path that he put you to walk on and you're not we want to move around and do our own thing from time to time none of us are perfect but you know it's our heart well our heart is falling after God and that's I believe that he honors and he's you know never seen the righteous forsaken or this he truly does and you're and you're an example of that yeah amen <laughs> you know and it's it's uh you know sometimes you don't know what to say sometimes you uh, you know, God will, God will put words in mouth and, and just what somebody needs to hear at a given time. You know? There have been a lot of times, you know, in the beginning, I was going to try to write some notes to make sure that I didn't forget this, certain things that you definitely want to say. Mm-hmm. You'll look back afterward and, and think that you did say what you wanted to say. Um, then you said what you needed to say. Or whoever's listening, and in this case, uh, I, you know, my my wife, she tells me that I got a lot to say, and I'm, I'm not shy. She can't believe that I used to be shy years ago, but I got something to say, and and uh, this was a good opportunity for me having having the time that you you given me. Say like to just speak until I'm tired. <laughs> you know? I can relate to the shy part because I used to be extraordinarily shy myself. No one would believe that today, but I was extremely shy. <laughs> so you I know, can truly I mean, relate to that one. 
I'm, uh, <laughs> everybody's a friend. I'm, I'm shy. <laughs> now, no one would believe that of me. No. <laughs> that I'm on the radio. I, could, <laughs> I bet you I couldn't say a thing in person. So. <laughs> yeah. Something have it with the radio, the microphone to hide behind, so to speak. You know, but that's what I thought would be easy about it, but it's not necessarily, you know, you because people, um, I, times when I get a chance to congregation, um, you, know, you you don't want to ramble, you don't want to go on and things, other things have to go on, so you want to kind of be succinct, you want to get to the point, and you want to say what you want to say and, and be done, but uh, but then at the same time, too, you, you're staring in front of in everybody's face, and they're staring back, so uh, I've I've been able to handle that. You know, I've got friends who uh, encourage me to take courses and you know, um, so public speaking courses and whatnot. You know, because sometimes you don't you don't want to get lost in what you're saying. Or uh, my old Bible school teacher, he used to tell me that I used to shoot the bull. And I said, "What does that mean?" He's like, "Just going around, the bull around and around." not getting to the point, so and I always fear that that's what's going to happen, you know. But I've, I've uh, this has been a great opportunity, and, and uh, I'm, like I said, I'm looking forward to next, the sequel to the book now, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that everybody get it. Uh, Kirby is starting to flourish in his life, and, you know, um, I don't want to give away too much from Song of Redemption, but um, it's his his job now. Or his ministry is to you know to appeal to the people that are in in the position where he was. Mm-hmm. That you're doing it for somebody, and it's not easy. And and see if we can we can get past that part. I've I've met people that were unselfish that. Were Answer your every beck and call. You know, I'm I'm afraid I'm going to use. I'm scared. I'm here, and they come to your house. You know, and and in dedication, um, that's what Kirby is in for, because he's gonna he's gonna have a burden, so to speak. And this, the the next book is going to be called uh, uh, "Blessed Blessed with a Burden," and I say that because the blessing that God sees you as somebody He wants to use to help somebody else lesson if 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 you're called on uh it can be burdensome at times it can be burdensome a lot um but it's a blessing more than anything yes because our gifts are not our own they really aren't our gifts are definitely not our own they they're definitely meant to go out there no matter what the gift is to be able to share it to someone else because we never know who that might help exactly you know whether or not it's something that said Who's maybe contemplating contemplating suicide, which which I also handle that in a, a song of redemption. Um, that's one of the outcomes of addiction is suicide. Uh, there was a time when I was going through that and thinking that this was just not going to work for me. This life is not going to work, so I might as well just kill myself. I might as well be dead and won't, you know won't have to to deal with the anguish. Torment, because there's torment in addiction. Living a lifestyle of sin, period, is torment. 
you know, the way of the transgressor is hard, the scriptures say. Um, uh, outside looking in, you don't see you don't see a drug addict being tormented, but but drug addicts are tormented people. Yeah. Uh, they live as a life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the only way out of torment is when you can't see light at the end of the tunnel. Just stay in the tunnel and die. Um, I tried I tried that one time. Um, and I don't know that I really wanted to do it. Actually, the first time, first experience with suicide or the attempted suicide was, I can't do this, you know. There's no hope for me. I, I just should cut my wrists and, and die. You know, how how do you kill yourself? You really want to be dead. How do you, you know, I don't mm-hmm. like pain. I don't want to be in. But I think it was first, I, I wanted to do it, and I I mean, I really, really wanted to be gone, but I couldn't do it. You know, that was God right there saving me. Then later on, though, you know, drug addiction, drug, the practice of using drugs is the practice of witchcraft. Um, the very name, word drug, uh, comes from, uh, I think, the Greek pharmakai, which mm-hmm. means pharmaceutical, which, which is also translated to witchcraft. So there's a there's a degree of demonology, you know, the um, satanic activity going with drinking and doing drugs. That's a we're intermingling in a demonic world, and we don't know that. We don't have a clue. Uh, when suicide came back to my mind again, this time I didn't want to do it. I felt like I had to. And I, I, I stood in my bathroom one day, knife again to my wrist, feeling like, you know, I don't want to do this. Like I was fighting against self, you know, a knife on my wrist and trying to hold it and pull it back at the same time when I felt like this is what has to happen. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, um, and again, God intervened somehow and, and, and saved me out of that situation. So... Um, it's a spiritual warfare, as I was saying earlier. You know, it's a demonic world that we enter into when we want to when we fool with drugs, or, or I mean, it's unconscious. We go into it not knowing, ignorant to the fact that the devil is trying to kill us, and that's what the exactly. bottom. That's the goal: is to kill you, to take you out of here before you get saved. And especially, you know, they say that, you know, as a Christian, when you fall to the ways of the world, you're making God look like a a fool. You know, you're mocking God. You're a bad uh, example. You're representative of God when you're living for, you know, as Christians, we are representative of God. So whether it's a good life or living on a bad life, it does reflect on God. Well, I think, too, that the enemy knows that we can be, you know, that we can be um, restored, you know, that we can repent. And all the men that are in prison, uh, uh, there's a great degree of men in prison who are Christians who have strayed from the Lord, who have something to offer to the world that, that he's going to keep from from the world, you know. That's very true. 
If he can My keep people us, shall perish for a lack of knowledge. So if he can keep us from our destiny, if he can keep us from our calling, mm-hmm. to some small degree, he's been successful. You know, so if he can get you out of here, if he can keep you, then, you know, he will boom, boom, uh, notch on the, on the bottom of his gun. Mm-hmm. And so that's one that's one source he doesn't have to worry about. So we've got to be uh, wiser and realize the tactics and the strategies of, the, of Satan and get on the good foot. Start um, taking the taking the battle to him, you know. And I think that's another thing that we don't do enough of. You know, we we try to stay back in defensive mode instead of. Instead of going against the enemy, and uh, when we can, you know, that's something that I'm still learning too. But when when we can get that part together, we're going to be even more dangerous. And and uh, that's that's for uh, interviews to come, I guess. <laughs> you know. Well, that but, spirit uh, of discernment and to be able to watch for the tricks of the devil. You know, God wasn't through with you left uh, yet. That's why we were able to hear those, those beautiful words. And all along, he was trying to stop exactly this point, your destiny moment right here and now. And people do not have to know that. So I'm really glad that you, you're bringing up and testifying and explaining to people how the devil works and, and what signs to begin to watch for. And that, that also kind of ties into people understanding that they have a purpose because there's a lot of people that don't know that they have a purpose. And if you don't really know that you have a purpose, you just kind of roam around the earth aimlessly. Everybody's got a purpose. Everybody. Exactly. God's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. But, but to, in order to realize it, you've got to surrender to him. You've got to surrender your life to him in order to find him. You know, some people find they find a life, but uh, until you turn it over to him, you don't find the life. You got um, it. <laughs> but there's a there's a plan, you know, and and sometimes it's hard to see what your plan is. But mm-hmm. you know, and while you're searching, you know, while you're thinking about it, I guess I used to always, as a youngster, uh, a teenager, I wanted to know what God's will for my life was. Well, to be technical, you know. Our purpose primarily is to praise and worship God, serve God. That's our purpose. But he's got a plan that goes beyond that where he will get more glory. And we worship and praise him more when we figure out, you know, if we just follow him, there's nothing really that we have to figure out. You know, you just you just walk into the plan. As you live your life, you walk into the plan. And I believe that whether or not it's something that you've been through, a struggle, or if it's something that you know how to do, that you enjoy doing, that, that you know, whether it be creative, you know, your plan is going, God's plan is going to work in, in your, uh, not in your ability, but in, in whether it be your struggle, as I said. But I believe, too, that, you know, if it's something that you enjoy, um, We've missed our calling. Some people say you missed your calling. Mm-hmm. You know, something that something that you like to do, something that you feel like you were born to do, and uh, you think maybe exactly. you're old or you're you're it passed you by. Well, you know, God, you, God never passed you by. You can never pass him by. Whatever he's got for you 
just for you. And, um, you know, I wanted to play ball. Now, there's some things physically that you just can't do anymore. You know, I was, I was a, uh, uh, and still am a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. And that was all I wanted to do coming out of high school. I wanted to play for the Eagles. And uh, I guess right around after a couple, couple, three, four years, I started getting a little older and thinking maybe my time had passed. But, uh, you seen that movie Invincible with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, that was supposed to be my story. I used to feel about Vince Papali, who Vince Papali, who just walked on and went to this open open trial at 30 years old, and he made the team. He ended up playing for three years. Um, I thought that was my story, and and I had the opportunity, but never. Never, you know, I never was aggressive with my, with what I call my opportunity just to go up there and do it. So, of course, you know, years pass. Now, I can't play for the Eagles anymore, but um, there are things, you know, there are other things that God has brought along the way. You know, like, like now, I can still never get too old to write. You never get Amen. too old, you know, to sing. There's things, there's things that everybody has in them that God gave you that he can still use for his glory. And he will use it if you if you just give it to him. And the thing is too, when I wrote the book, this the book took me it took me five years to finish, uh after the actual writing of it. it. Took me five years and when I finished it and I was wanting so badly to put the end at the back of it, you know, I was waiting I couldn't get there fast enough and I was getting close and I was getting close and I was like, it's still not, you know, close. And then finally, the end. I was like, wow, this was like a momentous time in my life that I had finished something that I started. It took a long time, but I I, I saw it through, and I didn't give up. So uh, that's another thing, too, is, is you know, I felt like if I could do that, if God could, first of all, deliver me from a life of drug addiction. I'm 51 years old. And I've been doing some kind of drug for half that time. 25 years of my life, I've been addicted to some kind of drug. And for the most part of that, I thought that was time wasted. But again, you know, God can restore anything. Anything he can use, Mm -hmm. those those so-called wasted years are years of experiences, years of, of learned Wisdom, I guess you could say, things that um, now I know I can tell somebody what not to do in a certain situation. But you know, those those experiences have culminated into into my writing. So there's nothing wasted. There's nothing wasted with with God. So um, I'm just you know, and then on top of that, if, if that could happen to me, it could happen to anybody. You know, if if I could write for five years and, and never see the light of day and then finally it's a finished work, you know, then anybody can do it. You gotta start. That's the thing, is just just to start and and not to not to give up. It's not not to finish until you finish. Not to give up. Um and you know, like I said, I'm the the thing about it was though too I sat down for the you know, now I I gotta write another one now. <laughs> Sit now. Thinking like it's going to take another five years, Lord. You know, <laughs> but if, 
the same the same time constraints face me now that face me then. So, you know, it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. Um, and I was there and I look at all the notes that I put together and the ideas that I want for the second story and the points that I want to make and the things I want to touch on and just look at them. And but you got to start. You got to start. It's almost like the first time around now going back and and figuring where do I start? Well, you just start writing, and then so that's what I exactly. Yeah, just start writing. And you know, and you it can't, flows. Yeah, you know, and and you're not gonna you're not. I'm trying to fix my mistakes as I as I go instead of just getting getting out deep down on paper. So um, you know. I carry a pad around with me everywhere there's I am there's some paper and pen. And I'm I'm riding down the highway sometimes and I mean, you know, I don't recommend this but I and I'm writing while I'm because <laughs> I gotta get it out. <laughs> right. I mean, you need to get one of those little uh, recorders or whatever because uh That would be safer for driving. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, well make sure you always have a passenger with an ink pen and a notepad. <laughs> Write it down, write it down. I got another thought. <laughs> I want to take this moment to thank you again for coming to the show um, and talking with us about, you know, your life and, and your experiences and your struggles and and your, your, your solutions and your faith. And we appreciate having you be so open with us on those matters yes. because, you know, you never know what you say about your life that can help somebody else. And hopefully, you know, we have people that have listened in that needed that, at you know, that firsthand rendition of how these things can happen to you. So we want to thank you so much for coming in. I hope that you come back again. Hopefully you do get that book finished before five years from now <laughs> so we can have you in a lot sooner than that. So, <laughs> where can um, we get the so, current book? Is the current book available now? The one that um, you completed. The the novel. The, yeah. Um. Well, I've got to. I've got to get him my, my buddy who's making the cover, and um, it, he's a hard guy to get in, a hold of, and he's doing me a favor. So I really, he's a great artist, and I'm really, you know, looking forward to his cover. But um. I'm just leaving that to the Lord. I'm trying not to rush it, but I want to say that it's, uh, if you tune into if you if you go to www.authortree.com slash Milo I L O W website that helps uh, that uh, keep everybody updated, and you can go and get information about the poetry book. You can still rise again. And you can get updates uh, on when finally a song of redemption is coming out. Uh, I spoke earlier that title might change, but um, this is depending on uh, my friend coming up with this other cover. So uh, that's not good news, I guess, at a time like this. But um, you want people to get you know familiar with that title, a song of redemption. So, but um, let's let's hope for let's hope for. Mid May, hoping that it'll be available. You can still that would write. Be great. Poems are still are available now. Get that at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com as well as AuthorHouse.com. Right. I also put the uh, information on the show page. If anybody goes there, uh, it will give them a link to the Amazon.com site where you go directly to Milo's um, page. 
And uh, I want to end the show with a, a, a nice song for the remaining minutes that we have that, to me, was relevant in the era that, um, you know, black people were succumbed to a lot of things with uh, drugs and, and you know, drug dealers and crime. And, and, and this isn't anything new. This has been going on for a very long time. And um, there was a song that I used to hear on the radio all the time and, you know, first I want to say thank you to Nishiba for being my my very well-skilled, faithful, and informative <laughs> co-host. <laughs> thank you, God, for bringing us together. Yes, all my, my people in the chat room, you know, all the guests that didn't put a name under their selves, but my, my, my regulars, DJ Shaheen, uh, yes. Sounds, I'll see you later. Make sure you read my email. You know, I got sister in the house. Nashiba, of course, and myself and Milo. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being a great, great, great audience for our guests. And Milo, I will catch up with you later, and we'll discuss a return visit, okay? Okay, you you, you bless both of you. Be blessed. You too. Thank you so much. Because God is not through with you yet, honey. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put this song on, and don't know, I hope nobody gets offended, but it is a song about real life. <laughs>
You know me? 